Hey y'all, and welcome back to Upper okay, Fit y'all, Nutrition Radio. Awesome I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, future registered dietitian, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the world of fitness and nutrition. Today we're going to talk all about muscular tension and muscle hypertrophy. So get ready, I have an awesome friend, Austin Current, and we are about to get nerdy. So let's get started. And he is just super smart and has been into the fitness world for a while now. So Austin, why don't you tell my listeners who you are, what you do, and what got you started into competing as well as coaching? Uh, Thank you. I think you oversold me there. But uh, nonetheless, I got into competing, uh, kind of talked into it by a friend, uh, which is maybe common, maybe not. Uh, But so my first show, I got talked into it by a friend and kind of just had six weeks to prep and prep myself Uh, as was four years ago now. And I ended up winning, uh, I think three of the divisions and kind of the the history. That's how things got written. I think there, I figured out that I liked it. Hey, I was pretty good at it. Um, at first I was completely against it and I was like, nah, that's not me. It's not what I'm about. And so my friend was just like, you got to do it. You got to try it. If you hate it, don't do it again. And I was like, that's fair. Uh, so yeah, prep for that for about six weeks. Um, I know I'm getting some stares there. The fact that I was able to win with only a six week prep, which is yeah, not, for something, sure. but not something I recommend to anyone. Uh, it's not something that I do or practice now. Uh, but it was just kind of like, a, I was already pretty lean, so it didn't, I didn't have much more to go, I would say. And so from there, I just competed a few more times, uh, had, got some a uh, few more overalls under my belt, and that was kind of just, what's the next step? You know, national seems pretty cool. Um, and so I ended up going to uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to do the uh, North Americans. So the, yeah, whatever that's called, the North Americans uh, in, in Pittsburgh, and ended up winning that and turning pro, uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, in 2014. Uh, so this, it kind of was a fast, uh, it was super fast the way it happened. Uh, started, I, I started competing the kind of like the, the next weekend after I turned 20 and kind of fast forward nine and a half months later, uh, I won my pro card, obviously still being 20. Uh, and it was a super fast journey. Uh, a lot of ups and downs emotionally and physically there, but my goal was to turn pro when I started and I achieved it. So I was super happy with it. Yeah. Super quickly too. That's amazing. Uh, so I think my next, uh, my next thing would just be kind of how I got into, to coaching. Uh, so things just kind of progressed from there. Uh, I got asked, you know, through social media, things like that, how I think, I think some of the start coaching was, you know, hey, do you, do you prep people? Hey, do you coach? And I kept just telling people no uh, and guiding them towards my coach, the guy who coached me. And uh, pretty soon after that, I was like, you know what? I may try to take some people on just to, like, I, I know how to do it. Um, I have the knowledge, at least at this point, to put people through an effective and safe prep and uh, at least help them lose body fat and gain some muscle. So shortly after I won my pro card, I started, uh, I started taking on some clients here and there and, you know, fell in love with it and was like, this is a pretty cool route. 
never thinking that it would turn into much. Uh, I would never, I would never have called myself an entrepreneur or someone that would have their own business. Uh, you know, fast forward three years from that, that point, but it's just kind of progressed from there. Uh, and you know, I've gotten more and more education. I've gone on. I graduated with my uh, undergraduate degree in exercise science, uh, mainly focusing in sports nutrition and biomechanics, and then went down and interned at uh, MI40 Gym, which you mentioned, under the guys there, under Ben Pakulski and Kasim Hansen, and the, you know, just the depth of coaches that are down there. Uh, I was very humbled uh, to be, be in the position that I was in. Uh, and just learned a ton, as you said, down there, as I did, and created a lot of, uh, I would say the most that I, I found in that opportunity was creating the, the kind of the practical application to all the knowledge that I was learning at university. Uh, sometimes at university, a lot of, you're, you're taking in a lot, but you're, you're not able to make a lot of practical applications mm -hmm. to the actual world of either, you know, dietetics in your in your field or the training realm where I come from. So it was kind of hard and going down in my 40, it was like the, the light bulb started to flip on and I was like, oh, this makes sense. Oh, this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of made more sense, right? So uh, after that point, I had a hard decision to make uh, after leaving in my 40. So I did that in the summer of 2016 and I was down there for a few months and had to go back to uh, do my final semester at university to graduate. And after that point, uh, that was kind of the hard decision of, do I go back down to my 40 and take the job um, as a physique coach at my 40? Or do I move to Australia with my wife because she got a job in Australia? And so I think uh, if you know a little bit about me, I think we know what decision I made. Yes. Uh, did in fact move to Australia uh, and take just from that point, I had to take on uh, my my online business, you know, a little further and pursue that full time. And it was kind of a make or break for me. Sorry. You know, oh, you're fine. It was kind of a make or break for me at that point. Like this has to succeed because I don't really have anything else going on. Uh, so it was it was that uh, pressure to kind of help that make my online business succeed at that point. And I think I've done a fairly good job at making that happen as well. So that's kind of fast forwarding to here. That's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah, no. And it's kind of a blessing in disguise if you think about it, having to choose. Because since you've moved to Australia, I feel like your coaching business as well as like your social media presence has just exploded. And that's largely, in fact, to... Um, what you put out the content that you put out so um just thank you so much for putting out a wealth of information for everybody and for being a good resource uh yeah i appreciate that um yeah the, the growth uh this year has been pretty uh insane in terms of it's never what i ever expected uh and i'm still surprised by it you know day to day honestly um and i think early you know i think i was on the front end of a trend uh, while also kind of putting out valuable content for people. So I was, you know, just on the front end of a visual trend that ended up taking hold uh, in the social world and then just having a more digestible way to teach quite complex information at times. Uh, and I think a lot of people early on, it was kind of a mixed review. 
uh, not a lot of, and we'll get into more of this as we go on, but not a lot of people were on board for a very heavy execution based type of training. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people just want to throw weight around and I don't have an issue with that. But if you're, if your goal is, you know, to optimize muscle growth and hypertrophy, you got to start taking a closer look at things and maximizing your time in the gym, uh, as we all have a limited time there. So, you know, there was mixed reviews early on of my content and methods that I've learned. I wouldn't call them my methods as much as, uh, what I've learned and been mentored to, to teach. And, uh, I think I'm doing a better job now at translating it into a more digestible way to, uh, kind of digest, you know, if that makes sense. So to take in and actually apply to your lifting and your time in the gym, but yeah, mixed reviews, but it's, it's been pretty unreal. And alongside the growth, yes, my business did start to grow as well. Uh, and I've had just had to adapt at this point, uh, to a lot of changes, uh, there. So, you know, I, I still, de- I still deal with day-to-day changes within my business. There's no doubt about that, but things are going a lot better than they were at the beginning of the year. I can say that. Good. You got kind of a schedule and a plan going. Yes. <laughs> which is, which is nice. Yeah. It kind of throws you for a whirlwind when things just pick up randomly. You're like, Oh crap. What do I do? <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't prepared for the growth and, uh, you know, looking at it from a business angle, you, you could tell, um, so, you know, from a transparent view, my, my social following, uh, growing as fast as it did, which ended up being you know, over a hundred thousand followers in three months, which was an unreal growth pattern. But on the back end of things, my business didn't grow at all. Um, and that, you know, just looking at that from kind of a, a magnifying glass was like, oh, clearly I wasn't prepared. Uh, and so now I've taken the steps over the past six months or so and really audited myself, audited my business, uh, and just the way that I kind of just carry myself within it, uh, and kind of have built it from there on out. So, yeah. Well, hopefully it will continue to grow. Um, so let's dive into the specific topics for today. I'm super excited about. So the first thing you kind of already mentioned, we are going to talk about muscular tension and the importance of actually working your muscles while you're training. And I'm going to let you to start off and dive into this. I know, like you said, it's kind of controversial. I know there's still a lot of ego lifters, um, but I am definitely a firm believer and muscular tension and the mind muscle connection. So I'll let you start and go into the importance and the practical applications. Thank you. Uh, so I think it's first starting with uh, kind of what's your training goal. Uh, and I'll keep most of this pretty broad because I could get very in depth and it's going to just not help anyone at that point, um, other than maybe a few people. Uh, so at a very broad uh, point, it's, it's important to realize what your goal is as you step foot in the gym, uh, whether that's day to day or, you know, over a few months period, uh, depending on what your goal is at that given time. So let's say you're trying to gain a little muscle. Um, so you're in a gaining phase or a growth phase or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, you've, you've, you were focusing more on strength development. Uh, and so it was more about the poundage that you were picking up and putting down each day. 
and now it's time to transition and try and gain some muscle. So, you know, the actual application to, to muscular tension and being able to kind of dictate where tension goes within the muscle when you pick a weight up is very important. Uh, and, and, you know, with the, the evidence-based movement that we're in right now, which I'm all on board with, it does kind of cripple logic at certain times, I think, um, and feel free to disagree with me there, but I, I think that there's, there's times where we lose the ability to think logically and rationally about a, a certain uh, topic uh, or method because you know the research isn't quite there yet or it hasn't looked at it yet. Um, and that's kind of, I think, where mus muscular tension and the importance of execution is within that kind of research realm is it's so hard to look at uh, in a lab, almost impossible, uh, because it's so relative to each and every individual. And to gather a sample size and you know keep them in the lab or keep them in the general vicinity to train each and every day would just be virtually impossible to recreate uh, to give us you know a good scientific reading on can we rule this out or can we say that this helps? And so, you know, a lot of people kind of write it off, I think, because, you know, a lot of the research we have right now doesn't narrow in on this focus. Uh, and, you know, some of the, some of the industry leaders are, if, if they, they're asked about it, since there's not a lot of research on it, I think they, they briefly touch on it saying that, of course, if your goal is hypertrophy or muscle growth, you should care about recruiting the right muscles. Uh, and then that's all they kind of touch on it, you know? So I think from a standpoint of progressing forward um, in, in this industry, we there's gonna have to be a bigger, uh, more important focus on the transition to caring more about the execution of each lift and recruiting the right muscles and allocating volume to certain places uh, that we that we're wanting to, you know, allocate it towards. Uh, just to put an example really quick uh, is, you know, if you're if you're working your chest uh, or your goal is chest, and you know your volume is set at let's say just a moderate amount of volume, well, you know, 15 sets per week on your chest, uh, and you're not very good uh, or very efficient in your execution at that you're not sure how to really recruit your muscles in your chest very well, you may only get a solid six sets in that week that were actually good, um, that you actually created damage, actually created that uh, mechanical damage, even had any mechanical stress at that point on your chest. And so you went in with a goal of 15 sets, but you really only came out, if you look at it under a microscope, with maybe six quality sets that week, and then you're wondering why your, your muscles aren't growing. Uh, and so I think from a practical application standpoint, that's when things start to become more apparent and people really start kind of putting, you know, putting on the, the thinking caps and they're like, oh, okay, I think I may be on board with this. Yeah, it's uh, not just it's not just doing the volume, it's actually doing the volume and doing the damage in the muscle. Right, and you know, one thing that we can say, you know, almost for sure is that mechanical damage is one of the main drivers or in mechanical tension 
is one of the main drivers of muscle growth and hypertrophy. So we got to create it. Um, and I think that's the easiest way to put that is, you know, if, if one of the biggest uh, or the biggest driver of what's going to help our muscles grow and kind of create that cascade of events within our, within our cell, within our body to tell our, tell our muscles that we need, we need them to grow, to adapt to new stimulus that it's, you know, being placed on our bodies. We have to start with the mechanical tension aspect of things. And if we start there, then execution becomes more important, uh, more important than even, you know, pounds lifted or total volume, you know, volume again is going to be relative to that, which you can recruit and that in which you can dictate kind of where that volume is going. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so, you know, does that kind of help wrap, kind of like explain that a little bit or is there another way that you kind of want me to? No, that was very well. That was thorough and well explained. Um, I know I just wanted to hint on the fact that you were talking about like researchers not really noticing, um, well, not hinting on muscular tension. It's really people struggle sometimes, I think, in the research world. Um, not everybody for sure. So put that out there. But absence of evidence doesn't necessarily mean there isn't an outcome or a benefit. It just means nobody specifically has tested it yet. So just because there's no research on one specific topic doesn't mean that there couldn't be a, be a benefit from a specific idea or um, muscular tension. So just want to hit on that as well as give my own personal kind of um, issue of not using tension. So I have always had the struggle of glutes growing and it took me years to realize that the reason they were not growing was because I was not creating tension and damage in my actual glute. I was creating damage in my hamstrings or in my quads. So the moment I decided, not decided, I found out that creating tension and damage in the actual muscle is what was going to actually create the growth. That is when it was like a light bulb in my head. I was like, oh my God, this is how everything works. Um, and this is really important. So just wanted to throw out my own personal story to realization there. But you did a very good job in describing the problems that we see in this topic as well as practical practical applications of it so thank you for that um, I know we were going to go into as well training for hypertrophy so I will let you take it and dive into it yeah and so I think you know do you want to kind of go over uh, you know programming or kind of like how you would set up a, a hypertrophy program or do you want to go that route or yeah, so basically what we want in hypertrophy is progressive overload. So we want each week, we want to be able to manage the sets and the reps, which equal the volume each week. And we want to make sure that volume kind of progressively increases each week, whether that's weight on the bar or that's an extra added rep or so. We have to have progressive overload. We have to have damage done to be able to have growth. Um, and progressive overload, the amount of volume that somebody needs to create that growth is going to be different based on their individual, their individual, whatever. They're, everybody's yeah. different. And yeah. we definitely have to keep that into account. But if you keep the same weights forever and always, you are not going to create growth and you are not going to create hypertrophy. So 
that is just a kind of snip snippage of information there. But how do you go in regards to creating programs for growth and hypertrophy? Yeah, and I think it starts. Um, so you know, I've kind of I've niched down a bit in terms of you know the clients that I do take on, and you know, so if you come to me that there's an understanding that you've at least been in the gym and you kind of under, understand the the basics. Uh, I don't work with anyone that's kind of just starting out in the gym because I don't think I'm your guy. I think there's plenty of people or plenty of coaches, excuse me, that are kind of more well-equipped to, to handle uh, newcomers within the gym. So mm-hmm. I'm more of your guy if, you, if you've been in the gym for a little bit and you're kind of, you don't know where to go next or you've kind of reached a plateau. And, you know, so when I bring someone on, I look closer at, you know, what, what have you been doing, uh, over the last three to six months and then diving into, you know, where on the scale they even put, uh, the importance of, you know, exercise execution. And I found that the, the more of an emphasis they have or the less of an emphasis they have on the kind of the importance of exercise execution and, um, getting better at it, the, the more they seem to have plateaued. Uh, because again, as you said, you know, calculating volume can be looking at sets, uh, sets and reps. And also you could add a variable to that, uh, as you get a little more advanced and it could be sets and reps, but also time under substantial tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, you may be doing a certain amount of sets and reps, but again, looking back to kind of what I touched on in the beginning, if you're not able to create a substantial amount of tension or mechanical damage within that muscle group, then the volume isn't adding up. Uh, so you may think you're doing a certain amount of volume, but if you can't create that, you know, time under substantial tension or the time under the tension that it's going to take to kind of break past that threshold that your muscles already kind of adapted to, there's not going to be an adaptation phase for your body because, I mean, putting it very simply, your body needs to break the threshold of what you're already kind of adapted to. So you have a certain amount of stress, let's say that it's a one on a scale of five, and then we need our, we need our stimulus within our training to hit you know, that 1.5 on the scale. That, that makes our threshold adapt to 1.5 and then you know over the next couple weeks we may try to bump that up to a two and a three so uh, i hope that scale kind of makes sense it's uh, i just made the scale up but it's kind of just hinting at you know progressively overloading the stimulus uh but also understanding that you know you can hit you're overloading for you know maybe a four to six week period and then we can't just keep overloading and overloading you're gonna have to kind of back off and change the stimulus. And that's kind of where the deload comes into play. Uh, so, you know, you can, you know, for four to six weeks, you can kind of work in that 15, 12 to 15 sets per week, uh, each body part, you know, hitting that kind of at a hypertrophy, we'll, we'll call it six to six to 12 rep range on your lifts. And, you know, a, a rest period of, let's say a minute to two minutes, uh, just to be safe. 
And then you're doing that for four to six weeks, trying to either in, improve execution, improve uh, the tension that you're able to create, uh, add some weight to the bar, maybe add a few reps here and there on each set, or maybe just add another set in general uh, as you go through the weeks. And then at the end of that four to six week period, you're gonna have uh, kind of accumulated fatigue over that time where we need to kind of back off now and allow our bodies to kind of catch up, if you will. And that's kind of that adaptive responsive phase to whereas we start after that, you know, week deload where we're kind of backed off in our training a bit, that next week that we start up again on week one, that's kind of where that super compensation can kind of come into play there. And you're going to have your new strength, but you're going to be fresh again. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're going thinking of uh, kind of recovery uh, in terms of like more of a budget and, you know, you can't just keep spending and spending and spending, you know, you have a budget. So you get close to that red line, we'll say on your, on your budget, you have to kind of go through that deload period until you get paid again. And now you have a new budget to spend. Um, and that's kind of where that deload comes in, if that makes sense. Oh, no, that was great. I love that. You got to save during your deload. Right. You kind of, you know, you save, you got to, you get paid and then you kind of have a new spending limit, if you will, uh, with that next phase. And maybe you got paid a little more this time and now you can spend a little more in terms of your training intensity and accumulated fatigue and volume and all those parameters of training. Uh, you know, and each time it's just like kind of this, the cycle of trying to do a little more each phase, each four to six weeks phase. And then, okay, we did a little bit more than we did last time. Let's deload. Let's change the stimulus up, uh, for a week and kind of back off a bit on the, uh, like, you know, that maybe the eight to 12 rep range you've been hitting and with the intensity or volume, and then we'll back off for a week and then we'll go right back into another phase of trying to add a little bit more, um, and that, that I think that process is where a lot of people fall off mm -hmm. is it takes patience, right? It Which does. And nobody wants to take, you know, that delay, that deload week. Everybody wants to just go, go, go. They want that change, which is great. Like that is motivation. That is dedication. But you can't just run yourself into the ground. So do you mind hitting a little bit about, um, a little bit on overreaching? Sure. I think overreaching, um, you know, each coach has their own, their own methods, uh, and you know, each, each stimulus kind of has its own uh, way of overreaching uh, and overloading it. Um, you know, I think overreaching is a very advanced method uh, and something that should be taken into account. I think with advanced trainees or advanced athletes, mm -hmm. I think if you were a novice and intermediate you are going to be perfectly fine of going through a year or two of what we kind of just talked about, like try to add a little bit more volume or intensity to each phase, uh, as you go. And, you know, so I, I don't want to, I, I appreciate the question, but I don't want to touch too much on the overreaching aspects just because I think, uh, most of the listeners may be in that beginner to intermediate, um, place. So I don't necessarily want to confuse them on this kind of advanced technique. Um, but basically the overreaching, uh, is kind of that super compensation. Uh, so we'd overreach 
uh, after a phase, at the end of a phase, and then deload. And that's kind of where that super compensation comes. So increased strength uh, and things like that, increased performance and strength in that next phase that follows the deload. Um, but again, that's like that's a super advanced uh, way to kind of look at things. Um, so I think a lot of people, especially listening to this, can benefit from just things we've been kind of already discussing with going through a, a set phase, being consistent with it, it, you know, choosing a program that you're going to adhere to and enjoy and pushing yourself to your limit and then deloading that or backing off and then doing it again and kind of just doing that again and again over a year or two, I think you're going to make a lot of progress uh, just by doing that and being consistent with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And definitely in regards to like just a beginner, and I know you don't work with beginners, but really if you're just a beginner, you really don't even have to track volume. You just go into the gym and push those weights, push for those extra reps, push for the added weight. I think definitely in regards to, you know, keeping track of periodization is a lot more important the longer that you have been training. And especially in regards to, like, if you are after strength, you got to be on a specific program. Um, for hypertrophy, do you at all do any, like, different cycles of strength versus hypertrophy? Do you do anything like that? Um, I think, so the research is kind of, uh, so I'll touch on the research first. Um, and Greg Knuckles did a great job at, uh, he wrote a recent, uh, kind of unofficial meta analysis and I call it unofficial is because, uh, it wasn't, uh, peer reviewed or published, but obviously it was peer reviewed by unofficially peer reviewed by a lot of prestigious people. So it's a trusted resource. Greg Knuckles is a super smart dude. Um, but he just wrote a great article, um, on his website, strong, uh, stronger by science. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. Um, and so I recommend kind of going to check that article out. Uh, but it kind of talks about some of the recent research in terms of mainly strength. And so almost all the research that we have accounts for, uh, hypertrophy as kind of like a second thought. And so the, the research, the, the program that the programs that are used within the research community on these studies are mainly looking at strength. And then as a result of them doing the program and having the data, they're like, well, we can go ahead and test for hypertrophy as well, kind of as mm -hmm. a second thought. And so there's yet, as Greg touched on, there's yet to be a study that's like set up specifically for hypertrophy, for maximizing it, for optimizing it. So there's little that we know, um, in terms of the research community, but looking at it from a, a kind of a wider scope, I would say the phases that are important to go through uh, are more of phases of volume-based, so more neurological-based, so more of a typical six to 12 rep range uh, for, you know, let's say uh, three months at a time, and then maybe after that three to four month phase of doing, uh, you know, that six to 12 rep range or that six to eight rep range, whatever you're at, maybe we, then after that, we do a, a month of more of a metabolic stimulus to kind of give that, uh, neurological stimulus a break. And so then that's kind of more of your high rep training, more of your lactic acid based training, kind of creating that burn and that pump within the muscle. 
um, which kind of helps deload the, the neurological based stimulus that you just spent the last three months. Um, and that's kind of going to resensitize yourself to those, those neurological based, uh, stimuli and help you create more and more adaptations without having to work harder and harder and harder. Um, so the metabolic phase can almost create this deload within a macro cycle, if you will. Um, so looking at a year's training, let's say you spend three or four months on a neurological based, so hypertrophy muscle growth, uh, based stimulus. So, you know, practical terms doing, you know, four to five sets of, or three to three to five sets of six to 12 rep range or six to 10 or whatever it is. And then you spend a month doing more pump, you know, more of a metabolic 12 to 15, 12 to 20 rep range work, uh, for a month. And then kind of that helps resensitize yourself to what you were doing in that first phase. And you kind of just repeat what you did in that first phase again, and kind of just repeat that if that makes some sense. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. And definitely to my listeners, again, that was the stronger by science. Um, that is Greg Nichols research kind of review unofficial research review. So make sure to check that out. And very, um, I love how you mentioned the metabolic kind of portion because that in addition has its own benefits metabolically. So absolutely. Absolutely. From a metabolic standpoint, um, even your, I mean, uh, from a metabolic standpoint of within your muscle, but also within your actual metabolism and mm-hmm. the way that you're able to deal with, uh, things like, you know, insulin, cortisol, and I, we won't get too much into that, but the way you're able to kind of like deal with these, uh, metabolic stressors, um, and stresses on your body in general, that metabolic phase kind of helps, helps your cells adapt, um, to a, a new stimulus. And, you know, the more adaptations that we can have and it just prepares us better for that next kind of hypertrophy phase that it's about to come up. Um, you know, our, our, that metabolic phase is going to help tell our cells a little bit more of like, Hey, we need a little, we need to store a little more energy within the cell because we're getting all, you know, we're getting a lot of damage here. So, you know, let's bring in more glycogen. Let's bring in more, uh, you know, maybe, maybe more mitochondria to deal with the stress. And that way, when you go into your next hypertrophy phase, like you're going to be set up that much better, um, to adapt even more and more to that stimulus again. So we won't get too in depth there, but, uh, I thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, I could, I love going into more in depth in regards to the cellular biology, but I do understand that most people don't have necessarily a background of like certain enzymes and, Um, Best not to go into those, but I do want to ask in regards to contest prep, what are your suggestions for my listeners in regards to um, maintaining muscle mass while dieting? I think that's a group. That's a really good question. Um, So I would say the most important thing is giving yourself time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think we can all agree upon that. I think that's a general kind of the general consensus around the, the evidence-based community of coaches, uh, give yourself time. So, you know, one thing that we've, we've seen within research and also anecdotally within, uh, just experience coaching clients is that, you know, the longer you're able to give someone, uh, so let's say you give them, ideally they may need four months to prep, but if we give them six months, we could diet 
a little slower, uh, allowing them to, again, have more of a recovery budget. So they're able to, uh, in terms of high, having higher nutrition, so they're able to kind of push it a little harder in the gym, therefore keeping more muscle tissue around for longer. And also by extending that prep maybe by two months and giving us six months, they were able to go through uh, maybe one or two diet breaks, um, which I don't know if your listeners, I'm sure your listeners maybe know a little bit about that, maybe you've touched on that in the podcast, but uh, you know, diet breaks allow us to, if you're in a deficit going, you know, through prep and you, you're able to actually go up back into maintenance uh, calories and give yourself a break uh, from the diet fatigue and the accumulated fatigue from dieting in general, um, not only on your metabolism, but also just your psychology, you yourself, uh, and dealing with life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just as a normal competitor, a normal person that's going through prep, like, you know, we have full-time jobs, we have families, we have, you know, husbands, wives, kids, like, there's more going on in your life than just prepping. And I think all of that needs to be taken into account, um, you know, at all facets of your, of your prep. So I think from any standpoint of any like clients out there looking for coaches, make sure that you have, um, that, uh, your coach has that in mind, starting a prep that you're not just going to be run into the ground, um, to, for them to display a product on the other end. Uh, make sure that yourself, you know, you look out for yourself in that standpoint, but also your coach is looking out for your best interest. Exactly. You know, you know, cause like uh, winning a show is great, but so is, so is, uh, you know, not getting divorced. Um, oh and gosh. I had, yeah. You know, that's like, that's a, uh, that's going maybe a little too dark there, but I've seen people go it's through press and relationships end and they, you know, they'll, they'll ruin relationships with not only their, their spouse, but with kids or parents or just because you dig yourself in this dark hole and you're underfed, you're overworked. And if your stress and fatigue management isn't there, or if you don't have a coach looking out for you on that, that aspect of things, you can really, really screw yourself, not only metabolically, um, but also just socially and your own within your own family. So I think that's really important. Yeah, I think it's very important, and I'm glad you hit on that. Um, it's definitely a problem in the coaching world and in the competing world is that a lot there are a lot of bad coaches that will run clients into the ground, and they just want to see the client do well on stage for their own personal gain, and it's disgusting to me. Um, I think over over any single show, over any person's photo shoot goal, whatever, the person's health – and that takes into account their mental health, their physical health, their social health, everything that comes first before any specific physique or strength goal. So firm believer in that. Um, Another thing I just want to hit on in regards to keeping on your muscle while you're dieting would be definitely keeping that strength in the gym and in your mind, I mean, it's a mental battle with prep. You're tired and just dieting your, yourself, like you're automatically, oh my God, I'm so fatigued because I have like 20 grams less carbs this week. So <laughs> I'm going to be weaker in the gym. No, you got to push yourself. You got to tell yourself you can do it. You got to keep those weights as high as you can because they're they're going to try and decrease. And the less that you push in the gym, not only 
the less calories you're going to burn, but the more muscle you could potentially lose. So firm factor there, guys. Keep going in the gym and don't just I, – what I think is crazy is some coaches will be like, all right, stick to, you know, the high-end rep range because they'll lose fat faster, and that's not the way it works. No, and honestly, the more muscle you – and even from a physiological standpoint, the more muscle that you lose – the, the slower your metabolism is um, exactly. from a basal standpoint. So at rest, the more muscle mass that we have, uh, the the faster our metabolism is able, the more efficient it is, the, the faster it's able to burn through and actually, you know, use the energy we're intaking. Uh, so yeah, you want to keep as much muscle mass as you can. Uh, and, you know, the, the uh, box jumps and, uh, high rep range training, uh, is not the way to go. Um, and even for like my bikini athletes, or I should say our bikini athletes here at physique development, um, it's, it's more about like, we're putting you through the ringer. Um, so in terms of like, obviously we, we adapt our training to what our client does enjoy, but if they come to me and say like, I I just like the light stuff, you know, I just want to, Kind of feel a burn and do the the plyometrics. I'm not the guy for you. We mm-hmm. are not the people for you, and you're not going to go very far with that method. Uh, so, you know, we kind of take it to our athletes. If look, if you're signing up with us, this isn't this isn't a sport for uh, for for wusses, and you know, you have to go in knowing that this is going to be a battle, and you know, you should kind of look forward to that battle. I think if you're going into contest prep or you're becoming an, an athlete, um, in that way, because one, it, it just teaches you discipline. It teaches you how to stick to something that's hard and it teaches you something, uh, it teaches you how to be uncomfortable or how to get comfortable within the uncomfortable. And I would say that's the biggest, uh, determinant of whether you're successful in a prep or business or life relationship. Um, everything you do in life will get hard and the people who win are the people that can just get comfortable, fasten their seatbelts and go on one hell of a ride. Um, and I think the people who quote unquote, let's, I won't say lose, but don't win are those who give up and get out of the car and say, it's easier out here. I'm just going to stand here. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if you're going to a prep, you have to prepare um, know that's going to be hard. Know it's good. It's going to be a challenge. Um, I'm not saying you need to be suffering, but yeah. I'm saying that you need to be challenging yourself. Uh, so if at any point you're, you know, for some people and genetically, some people like prep comes easier to some people, um, and that's just a gen- kind of a genetic factor of everything. But there, there's always, no matter who you are, the most genetically blessed bodybuilders on earth. There's still a point at which they're they're working and it's hard mm-hmm. and they're pushing their bodies to the limit of where their bodies don't necessarily want to go. And, you know, I think that all needs to be taken into account and also like competing is not for everyone. And so if you're a person that doesn't like to be uncomfortable, mm, man, I don't think competing is for you. And if you're someone that wants to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, then I think going through a prep can teach you a lot. Uh, and teach you how to fight through those mental battles. 
Yeah, and that made me, sadly, that just made me laugh a little bit because people think competing is so easy. They think it's something they can just hop into, and it's not. No, no, and I think the more and more um, we see, and I think, again, like there's genetically blessed people out there that, you know, you and I have both seen them, those, and it, it mainly lives in the, and again, I'm not poking fun at these divisions. If anything, I'm a men's physique competitor, so if anything, I'm, poking fun at myself, but if there's anything, um, it's bikini and physique uh, divisions within bodybuilding that kind of attest to this. I just kind of can go through it really, excuse the plane going by. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so, you know, there's, there's these people that can just kind of step on stage after six weeks, you know, and it was like, oh, it was super easy to get here. You know, I kind of always have abs and whatever. It was great. And I think that, you know, obviously there's outliers. And that's not the that's not the whole truth to the normal journey of a competitor. Um, and so, again, like, not talking down on those divisions. Obviously, you and I are both in those divisions. Uh, so I think I'm just speaking the truth to what the reality is of some of the people that enter those divisions. Uh and how easy some people make it look when it, in essence it's not easy. Well, yeah, it's like anything in life. Like some people walking into college barely have to study and they walk in and get their A. And then some people really have to buckle down and give their all and take all-nighters. So just like anything in life, you know, there's going to be people that can easily do something. But that doesn't mean that college is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that competing is going to be easy. Right. And I think, um, honestly, in the, what I've seen translate and I'll, I'm kind of a, I would say I'm an attest to this and some of my, my friends are an attest to this as well. Uh, it's those people that have to go through the struggle. It's the people that have to work harder and fight more for, for what they want or for what they feel like they need that end up kind of being on top. Um, obviously there's outliers, there's people that just can, Kind of just coast through life and they were given that genetic ability and all power to them congratulations i'm kind of envious at times yeah i know right you want to give me that but, magical gene <laughs> yeah like but also i think for those of us um that had to fight like in high school uh you know i went from that student that was i i, can't, I went from that student of i don't want him to sit next to me because all he's going to do is look off my paper and cheat um in high middle school and high school like I did not get good grades. I was a, at best, 2.5 student out of a, you know, out of a GPA uh, in high school. I, my grandfather, uh, this is a funny story, but so I went to Ball State University my first, my freshman year of college, and my grandfather uh, was a football coach, uh, an assistant head coach at, at Ball State uh, in the previous years leading into that, uh, me going to that university. And so he had some connections uh, in, uh, in uh, you know, admissions. So he actually had to convince uh, and talk the guy into in admissions to let me in the university because uh, my SAT scores are, are sad. My ACT scores were very sad, um, and my GPA was not good uh, in high school, middle school, and high school. So. But after that first year at university, um, and I would attest to this to purely wanting 
not only defining my passion, but also wanting to make my grandfather proud was my freshman year. I graduated, or my freshman year, I left Ball State uh, with a 3.9 GPA. Uh, and that's with taking Kim, like Kim one, Kim two, um, anatomy one and two, like all the hard classes. I ended that semester at a 3.9. Wow. And then I ended up my last, my last five semesters, uh, I had an emotional downturn there in the middle a little bit due to a relationship issue that we won't get into. Um, but I think we all have those down periods, but I'm more proud of how I finished. Um, and I think that's more of the story uh, and more of what I'm trying to allude to. It's it's not really about your journey as much as how you finish. And my last five semesters in college, uh, or my last five or six semesters in college, I ended with a 4.0. Um, and I think that's more in a, in a test to where I'm at now. Uh, so I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like this, you know, I don't think I have a very, you know, high IQ in terms of uh, how IQ is rated. But I think in the areas that I'm good at, I'm good. And those areas that I have a passion in, I'm really, really passionate and intelligent in those areas. So, you know, for those of you out there, maybe I think I know this kind of took a turn to a different place, but for That's those okay. of you out there that are that are kind of lost, um, understand that once you find your thing, you're going to find it and you're going to excel in that in that thing. Um, and we're not we're all not built to be doctors uh, or physicians or you know pharmacists or engineers or architects, you know, or dietitians for that matter or whatever. Like whatever you find your thing in, just really own that. And get really good at that. And I think that can take you a long way. So I would say it's all about kind of, it's more about where you finish um, than kind of where you start or where you're at in the middle of your journey. So that was inspirational. Oh, clapping over here. <laughs> I think, um, I think that's a big part of uh, my coaching as well is just kind of helping people uh, and not only coaching, but also kind of why I think I'm on this earth. Um, it doesn't have to be from a religious standpoint, but I mean, however you need to look at it from a spiritual or religious, like why I'm kind of on this, you know, a part of my duty on this earth, I think is to, you know, help people through things, um, whether that's their struggle of building muscle and looking a certain way or finding a way in life. Um, and I think as I'm getting older, I'm trans, you know, I'm transforming my roles from a more into a coaching and a mentoring role um, in my professional career. And I, I can be more humbled by that and more grateful for it because I think that's where I live and that's where I excel is just coaching and mentoring people. And whether your goal is being better in life or growing muscle, I think hopefully I can help with that. Wow. Yeah. You can just tell how passionate you are about changing lives and Right there is, I mean, I firmly believe God put every single one of us on earth for a reason. He puts those passions into our hearts for a reason, to change lives, to change the world. And I am definitely, follow that. Follow what he tells you. Follow what he gives you. Because with that, not only can you impact and make your life full and abundant, but you will do the same for somebody else. Correct. And I think big thing there as well is 
help like you're going to have to realize that in your own a lot of times uh, because I think a part of where I struggled in school and failed really in school uh, in middle school and high school was the fact that I was I was a really good athlete and all my teachers professors and everyone in high school and middle school even coaches it was all they would tell me is look you're a really good athlete but you're not good at school so you're gonna have to figure it out and um, you know even when I decided to no longer I dealt with some concussion issues so some head injuries uh, later in my career uh, with with athletics and I actually had to I made the decision myself um, even though I knew it was going to disappoint a lot of people to stop playing uh, sports and I basically gave up my right to get a scholarship to go to college and that was kind of my my quote-unquote ticket right and so I think that was me doing so well at university and excelling where I am now has just been a battle and almost proving to myself and to my grandfather that you know believing in me was not waste of your t- was not a waste of your time and and that's like I, I think a lesson to, to take with you is you're gonna have a lot of people to tell that tell you what you're good at and I think you should listen less to them and listen a lot more to yourself and by doing that you're gonna be able to really find not only what you're good at but also what makes you blissful and really happy preach it that was awesome Austin thank you so much for those Words of wisdom. Yeah, no problem. I hope I hope we got uh, a little motivation and a little uh, muscle muscle knowledge from that. <laughs> both of both of them. Okay, Austin, thank you so much for taking your time to come on my podcast. If there's any last minute words you want to tell my listeners, or just tell them where they can reach you, find you for coaching, um, for contest prep, for gaining muscle, whatever for life, um, tell them where they can reach you and your social media handles. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, I'm the co-founder of Physique Development. Uh, Dot com. So physiquedevelopment.com, that's our coaching uh, website. That's our coaching brand. Uh, you can follow me. Uh, again, you can follow Physique Development on Instagram, or you can follow me, uh, Austin Current. And if you can't understand that, I'm sure Lacey will be kind and put that handle yeah, in the I show notes. Yeah, I will put all of his handles and all his information in the show notes for you guys. Yeah, so just the physiquedevelopment.com and or on Instagram uh, at Austin Current. Uh, you should be able to find me there. And then... I would say just last words are, I think, more important than anything in this in this life, whether it's, you know, success or anything. I think being kind is one of the most important things that we can do in life as humans um, in regards to speaking to other humans, dealing with other humans and just the in the entire human interaction world is just being kind. Um, So that's kind of one of my missions in life is I hope. Uh, you know, my legacy per se, I think I just want people to, if, if it were to be a question of, you know, what do you think of that guy? Hopefully people say, you know, he seemed like he was pretty, pretty smart. He steered me in the right direction and he was really kind. And I, that's really all I want people to say. <laughs> so uh, I think, uh, I think being kind is how I want to end this. Oh, yeah. I would definitely want to be remembered for who I am and not what I look like or what I put out just for information, I would want to be remembered for 
the way I change somebody's life. And I definitely think you are doing that for sure. So thank you again, Austin. And I hope you have such a fabulous night or what is it in Australia? <laughs> it is currently 12.30 p.m. on Friday. Um, oh. So it's the next day, actually. Oh, okay. Well, have a fabulous <laughs> Friday. <laughs> thank you. Okay, I will hopefully see you at an expo sometime soon. But if not, it was great talking to you, and I will see you later. Absolutely. I think I'm going to be at the Arnold uh, in March, I think. Um, I'm not for sure, but hopefully I'll be. Fingers crossed. Yeah, hopefully I'll be able to make it there, and uh, we can definitely hug it out and have a chat. Awesome. Okay, well, hopefully see you soon. Thanks, Austin. All right. Yep, see ya. Bye.